The sermon this morning was originally written for Pentecost Sunday, and Pentecost is that time in redemptive history where Christ poured out his Holy Spirit on his disciples, and we also live in that time after Pentecost when Christ has poured out his Spirit on his church. And so we will be looking at the outpouring of his Spirit this morning, and in connection with that, we'll read together from John chapter 16. Our text will be from John 16, verses 7 through 11, but we will begin reading in 15, at 15, verse 18, and read until chapter 16, verse 15. Hear now the word of the Lord. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, Therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on, my account, on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when your hour comes, when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. As mentioned, the text for this morning is John 17, verses 7 through 11. 
And so let us read that again. John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. That's part of the word of God. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, there is an organization called the International Court of Justice, or the ICJ for short. You may have heard of it. It is one of the six principal organs of the United Nations. And the ICJ, as its name implies, is an international body, a world court. And this court seeks to establish justice on an international stage according to international law. Now you might hear about the ICJ every once in a while when there's a war going on, such as the war in Ukraine. But perhaps you've heard of it because of its most famous tribunal, the Nuremberg Trials, after World War II. These trials which the victorious allies set up to bring justice to the leaders of Nazi Germany. Now these trials were by some measure of success. The perpetrators of genocide and murder were convicted and punished and brought to justice. But there was then, and there still is now today, a sense of, of the limited nature of the justice that the ICJ can administer. Could the execution of the Nazi leaders, the architects of genocide and extermination, could could their execution really do justice to the millions and millions of lives that were lost at their hands? No, beloved, we recognize that no human court, even an international court, a court where all the nations assemble together and seek to establish justice according to their own rules and their own laws, this court cannot administer true and satisfactory justice. But there is another international court of justice, so to speak, the tribunal of God. The court of the great judge of all the earth, whose law is perfect, and whose perfect justice will be administered. And so throughout the Gospel of John, the scene of this great courtroom of God is at the background. John has John has been called the gospel of witnesses because of all the witnesses who have been called to testify to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. First we can read about in John 1 verses 6 through 7. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. And in verse 34 John the Baptist says again, And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. And throughout this gospel account, Jesus is calling on witnesses. First, as we read, John the Baptist, but also Moses, the prophets, the Old Testament scriptures, and God the Father himself. 
He is calling on these witnesses to bear witness that he is the Christ, that he is the Son of God. And so we see in this courtroom drama that the judge of all the earth is calling the world to account. The judge is calling the world to see, to hear this testimony, and to repent and to believe in Jesus Christ, and so have life in his name. And so with this in mind, we turn to our our text this morning from John 16, where this courtroom drama continues, and the Holy Spirit is sent as a prosecutor to convict the world. And so I proclaim God's word to you from John 16, verses 7 through 11, under the following theme and points. Our Lord Jesus Christ graciously sends the Helper, to convict the world. And we shall see, first of all, the reason for this conviction. Secondly, the content of this conviction. And third, the means of this conviction. So for our first point, the reason for this conviction. In chapters 13 through 19 of John, there's recorded for us what is called the farewell discourse. The Lord Jesus is saying his final goodbyes and giving his last words of instruction to his disciples. He has told them that he is going away from them, and as we read in 16 verse 6, they are filled with sorrow. They are sorrowful not merely because their beloved rabbi and friend is, is leaving them, but because their messianic expectations had not been fulfilled. That means that their sorrow is tied to their false expectation of what they thought Christ had come to do, of who they thought Christ was. They did not understand, as Christ would later say in John, that his kingdom was not of this world. Instead of establishing his kingdom on earth, Christ is telling them that he is leaving, that they will be hated by the world, that they will be persecuted and cast out of the synagogues and killed. What are you saying, Jesus? How can these things be? You are the king. This is too much to bear for us. And so here we can see the grace and tenderness of our Lord. For he does not berate them. He does not berate them for failing to understand what he had been telling them. From failing to hear him when he said in chapter 14, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. The Lord promises again for the fourth time in the Gospel of John. He promises to send them the Helper. And He comforts them that this would be to their advantage. Jesus is going away from the world to accomplish his work of redemption. His disciples could not go with him, but they had to continue in the world as qualified witnesses of the Christ to the unbelieving world. In chapter 15, verse 27, which we read together, Jesus says to his disciples, You also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. They were qualified witnesses. Their testimony was valid because they had spent time with Jesus throughout the three years of his whole earthly ministry. 
They had been taught and instructed by the Lord Himself, by the Word become flesh. And they had seen and heard what Jesus had done from the beginning, and they could testify, of all people, they could testify that He was the Christ, the Son of God. And plus, they were not alone in their witness. As 15 verse 26 says, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. They did not need to have confidence in themselves or in what they could remember. For the Spirit of Christ himself would dwell in them and he would testify in them about the person and work of Christ. And this is the way that we usually think about Pentecost. When we read through the book of Acts, we see that Christ ascends into heaven. He pours out his spirit on his disciples, on, on all believers. However, in our text this morning, we see somewhat of a different angle of the work of the helper. We see somewhat of a different angle of Pentecost. We learn something else about the work of the Spirit in the world. In the three previous instances, when Christ promises to send his helper to his disciples, the Spirit is said to do something for the disciples. So in John 14, verse 16, we can read that the Spirit will be with the disciples. In 14, verse 26, we read that he will teach the disciples. And in 15, verse 26, he will bear witness to them about Christ. In all of these instances, the Spirit is sent for the benefit of the church. The Spirit is sent for the laying of the foundation of the disciples, the apostles who would be sent out into the world to preach Christ and Him crucified. But in this case, Jesus promises to send them the helper once He's gone away to convict the world. No, not the church. The Spirit has come to convict the world. And so we have to ask ourselves this morning, what does it mean that the Spirit convicts the world? First of all, we should recognize that fitting in the broader context and thrust of the Gospel of John, the work of the Spirit in convicting the world is a judicial activity. The Spirit is taking legal action, so to speak. He's convicting the world in the courtroom of the Most High God, the Judge of all the earth. Now this word convict can have some negative connotations in our mind. If we just change the emphasis in the way we say it a little bit, then we speak of a convict. A convict is someone who wears a bright orange jumpsuit who's been convicted and found guilty of some sin and has been segregated from the rest of society. They have been convicted of a crime and sentenced and will undergo some kind of punishment for that crime. Now the Spirit's work has the same legal connotation of finding someone to be guilty, but we should not think of it as a sentence being handed down. The Spirit has not come to judge the world and condemn the world, just as Christ says that He had not come to condemn the world. For the unbelieving and unrepentant world stands condemned already by their own unbelief. The Spirit has come to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. 
And we will unpack what these things mean in just a moment. But for now, we see that the Spirit brings the world to a knowledge of and to awareness of these things. He's presenting the evidence, so to speak, before the world so that the truth of the matter is plain for all to see. By his convicting work, the Spirit makes known to the world, to the whole world of unbelievers, he makes known to them their guilt before the living God. And so the world has come to the tribunal of God over which he sits as judge. The world will be judged in time when Christ returns again. But now in the age of Pentecost, when the the Spirit has been poured out on the church, Christ is continuing his church-gathering work that he had begun. He continues to gather his church out of the world. The Spirit, through the Word of God, convicts the world, saying, You are guilty. You are guilty before God. Repent and believe in the Son that you may have life. And so this convicting work of the Spirit is also, we see, for the benefit of the church. For the building up of the body of Christ. For the building up of a a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people chosen and precious, gathered from every nation and tribe and tongue on the earth. And so do you see the grace of God in the convicting work of the Helper? See how Christ, by His Spirit, through the Word as it is proclaimed, is not condemning the world. But He is calling all people to repentance, so that as John 20, verse 31 says, they may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and so have life in His name. God is graciously calling a people for Himself out of the world by the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. And this work of the Spirit involves the mission work of the church. The Spirit does not go out and about on His own as some kind of lone ranger. The third person of the Trinity does not operate on His own, but He works through the Word of God. He works through the gospel of salvation as it is proclaimed to our ears in the preaching and also to our eyes in the sacraments. And He uses us as His people as instruments in the task of calling Christ's church out of the world, calling sinners to repentance and faith. And in that work of mission, whether here at home or abroad, whether as a minister of, word, of the word called to preach the gospel or as a Christian called to bear witness to Christ, We must not rely on our own eloquence, our own wisdom and wit, our own friendliness, or the attractiveness of our church community. These are all good things, but we must rely solely and completely on the convicting work of the Helper. The Holy Spirit of Christ, He works through the Word of God to convict the unbelieving world. And we can be confident that this convicting work will bear fruit. For the Word of God never returns empty. It is a two-edged sword. Some will be convicted unto repentance and life. And some 
They'll be convicted, but they will continue in their rebellion and sin, and they will reap the reward of their condemnation. As John 3 verse 18 says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So this is a convicting outwork of the Spirit. Some are convicted to life in Christ, and some, by the rebellion, are convicted to condemnation. And so what, what exactly is the world convicted of? We will address this question in our second point, the content of this conviction. As we see in verse 8 of our text, the Spirit convicts the world of three things, of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And in verses 9 through 11, those three things are fleshed out a little bit more. But first of all, we see that the Spirit convicts the world of sin. The Helper brings to the attention of the world and exposes to the unbelieving world the true nature of their condition. In convicting the world of sin, the Spirit proves to the world they're standing before God. He convicts, of, he convicts them of their guilt. He convicts them that they fall far short of the requirement of God's holy law. He convicts them of their rebellion against God, the King of creation. But why does he need to do that? Why does the world need to be convicted of sin? Because first of all, people never come to an understanding of the true nature of their sinfulness by themselves. We know that, don't we? People do not believe, they do not realize that they need a Savior by thinking long and hard about their life. Eventually coming to some kind of intellectual enlightenment. But through the preaching of the gospel, the the Holy Spirit convicts the hearers that they are sinners. It is only by being convicted of the true nature of the sinfulness of your heart, the true wretchedness of your condition, that you're able to come to God in true repentance, that you're able to be reconciled to Him, trusting in Christ for complete and full forgiveness of our sins. Apart from that recognition, first of all, the world remains dead in her trespasses and sins. Apart from this recognition, we too would remain dead in our trespasses and sin, for God has called us out of the world as well. So have you been convicted by the Spirit of Christ? Have you been convicted that you are totally corrupted by sin? That apart from God, on our own, we would be completely dead. Have you been convicted of your need for a Savior? Love, we must repent of our sins. And we must turn to Christ for complete and full forgiveness. Christ has gathered his church out of the world. And he continues to do so. Each Sunday again, we are called to worship by our Lord. We are called out of the world, to leave the world behind. And we come into worship with God's people. But Christ also continues to gather his church by converting unbelievers. And in order for people to come to put their faith in him, 
They need to see their need for a Savior who suffered and died for them. The unbelieving world needs to be confronted with their sin and misery so that they can turn to Christ in repentance. Otherwise, they remain in unbelief and they stand condemned. And so it is an act of mercy, beloved, and an act of love to demonstrate to the world their sin, their unbelief, and to impress upon them the need for repentance, trusting in the work, the convicting work of the Spirit. No, we cannot just kill them with kindness. We do not need to show them how fun Jesus is or how fulfilling the Christian life can be, how nice our church community is. All these things are nice, but they fail to convict. For they need to be convicted with the gospel of the forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. The Spirit also convicts the world of righteousness. He convicts the world of righteousness because, as the Lord says in verse 10 of our text, I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Jesus is speaking here of his ascension into heaven. After the completion of his redemptive work on earth, Christ, the righteous one, who is perfectly obedient to God's will in all the time that he lived on earth, he is going to his Father. He is the righteous one who, as Stephen says in Acts 7, verse 52, was betrayed and murdered at the hands of his own people who did not receive him and did not believe in him. And as Peter says in his great sermon at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And so by being received by the Father into heaven after his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, Christ's righteousness is validated. His sacrifice and death on the cross have been approved by God as an acceptable sacrifice, a pleasing sacrifice aroma to the Lord, and a most excellent atonement for the sins of the world. And now the righteous one is seated at the right hand of the Father, and now he rules in righteousness. As Psalm 97 verse 2 says, the righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. And Psalm 9 verse 7 and 8 says, but the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. This is our Lord. This is Christ who will judge the world with uprightness. So Christ's ascension is, in a sense, a great reversal. The unbelieving Jews in Jesus' day thought that they were righteous. They were the righteous ones. They did not think that they needed Jesus with his so-called blasphemous claims that he was the Son of God. John 1 verse 9 through 10 says about the Lord that he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. They rejected him because they thought that their righteousness was enough. They did not know that they needed the righteousness of Christ. They did not know that Christ was the righteous one, 
the one who was foretold in the Old Testament, the one who had come to die and was crucified. And they crucified him. But by his very resurrection and later his ascension into heaven, Christ has been vindicated as the righteous one and the world's righteousness has been shown to be a false righteousness. Righteousness is not really a category in the mind of the world. Yet the same sense of self-righteousness still exists today. The unbelieving world of our day, those who not, do not believe in Christ, whether they are religious people or they adhere to the secular religion, generally they think that they are quite righteous. They may not use the word, but we know it when we see it, don't we? Most people think that they're pretty good. If you ask them if they were going to heaven, they would probably say yes. They downplay their sin by saying nobody's perfect. Yes, I make some mistakes. Everyone messes up sometimes. Yes, they say, you know, he does this or that. He's not perfect, but really, he's a good guy. Congregation, do not think that the world does not have a standard of righteousness. They do. But their concept of righteousness is false. It is the, it is the righteousness of the world that can crucify the Lord. And so the Spirit of Christ convicts the world of righteousness. Christ is no longer here on earth. He is no longer seen by us. But His Spirit is with, with us and through our witness to the world, through the proclamation of the Word as it goes out each Sunday from the pulpit, as it goes out in the mission field abroad, and as we bring the Gospel to our neighbors, through that witness, the Spirit convicts the world that their righteousness does not count. He convicts the world that they need a righteousness that is not their own. He convicts the world that it is only through the righteousness of Christ that there is forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God. And so we can say with Paul in 2 Timothy 4, verse 8, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And so finally, to round out the content of the Spirit's work of convicting the world, we see that he convicts the world concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. The ruler of the world is the evil one. As 1 John 5 verse 19 says, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The whole world lies in the power of Satan, the devil, However, when he is speaking about his being lifted up, that is, his crucifixion and his ascension into heaven in John 12, verse 31, Christ says, Now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. By his death and his resurrection and his ascension into heaven, the great dragon, the deceiver of the whole world, has been cast out of heaven by our Lord Christ. And now, the salvation 
and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. Revelation 12.10 By his death on the cross, Christ broke the power of sin and Satan. By his resurrection, he defeated death. And having ascended into heaven, he has cast out the prince of the world and has condemned him. And the unbelieving world, because it does not believe in the, the name of the only Son of God, swears allegiance to the prince of the world. And therefore, they stand condemned with their prince. We see this in John 3, verse 18 and 19. We read it once before. I'll read it again. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And so the world does not submit to Christ. The world that does not believe in the only name of the Son of God by default belongs to the devil. And so pulling this all together for a moment, we see in John 12, verse 31, that Christ's victory over Satan is at the same time the judgment of the world. In 12, verse 32, he says, though, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Christ did not come to condemn the world, but by its unbelief, the world stands condemned. So Christ has sent his spirit. Christ has sent the helper to convict the world of its standing before God. The spirit says, in a way, he says to the world in God's courtroom, he says, your guilt has been proven. It's plain for all to see. There's no excuse. And now you stand condemned before the judge of all the earth. Your, your sentence will be death eternal darkness in the lake of fire. Repent and believe in the Son of God that you may have life. This is the message that the Spirit convicts the world of through the ministry of the Word. Do you see the urgency of the call of the Gospel, beloved? It is glorious and wonderful news that the ruler of the world has been defeated, that the authority of Christ has come. That Satan has been cast out and condemned, but it is terrible news for those who do not believe. Those who do not believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, do not have life in his name. They stand condemned because the ruler of the world is judged. And so the world is under judgment. And so this is an impetus for us to be deliberate and purposeful about the work of mission whether at home or abroad. This is the impetus for the work of mission that this church is involved in. We can think about the mission work in Brazil or mission projects closer to home. We are called to be the Spirit's instruments in convicting the world concerning judgment. We are called to bear witness to the person and the work of Jesus Christ and the Spirit himself bears witness through us. So let us not neglect to call the world around us, our unbelieving neighbors or co-workers, our friends at college, 
or university, let us not neglect to call them to repentance. They stand condemned before God. And that is not something that we should want for them because the Scripture says that God himself does not delight in the death of the wicked, so neither should we. Let us show them the way out of condemnation so that they might believe and have life in his name. It is important for us to know how it is that the Spirit brings about this conviction of the world. And so briefly now, we come to our third point this morning, the means of this conviction. It has been mentioned already a few times, but it bears repeating again more clearly the way that the Spirit brings about the conviction of the world is through the proclamation of the Word. The Helper, whom the Lord Jesus sent, bears witness about Him. He is the Spirit of truth, who taught the apostles and guided them in the truth, the truth which they preached, they proclaimed to the world, and which we have recorded for us in the New Testament. The Spirit works with the Word, Old and New Testament, through the witness of the prophets and the apostles. And that witness continues today, for we have the Word of God. We can hold it in our hands. We can read it. This, too, is the work of the Spirit who inspired the authors to write God's Word for us. We also have the opportunity to sit under the preaching and teaching of the Word in church which has been called the workshop of the Holy Spirit. And here we can reflect for a moment on the task of the office bearers. The Spirit equips office bearers for their task in the church of Christ. And their task, as as it is given in Scripture, as it is laid out in our church order, is especially to maintain the ministry of the Word, the Spirit's weapon. Christ, by his Spirit, he uses the office of elder to do his work in the church. That work is carried out with the Word of God at the center. In home visits, the elders bring the Word. In exercising discipline, they do so with the Word. And in oversight, they make sure that all things happen in line with the Word. The Spirit also uses the office of deacon to do his work in the church. The deacons make sure that all things happen according to the word. They comfort the afflicted with the word also. This is how the Spirit works. Someone might say, really, you think that you can just put the Spirit of God in a box? You think you can say that this is how the Spirit works and not this way, but that misses the point. The ordained means that the Spirit uses is the Word of God and the preaching of it. And so, beloved, as believers, we need to earnestly seek to be under the preaching, receiving God's Word, being convicted by His Holy Spirit. But we are also to be promoting the work of mission in the world. If the proclamation of the Word is the means by which the Spirit convicts the world, then we should desire to have the word proclaimed in all the world so that Christ's church 
might be gathered and that his kingdom might come. And so we have to ask ourselves this morning, how are we promoting the spread of the gospel? What are we doing to bring the world under the convicting work of the Spirit of Christ? Jesus Christ is gathering his church from out of the world. He's gathering his chosen ones, the people whom his Father has given him. And so, congregation, we should not be afraid to bring people to church, to invite our friends and our neighbors, and to show them where the well of living water can be found. No, we do not do this out of a sense of evangelistic guilt. We cannot do this by making the church a comfortable place for the world. We do this because we have confidence in Christ our Lord. He is our King. He sends His Helper to us. As we sang in Psalm 46, the Lord Almighty, great and glorious, is on our side and goes before us. Now the, our Lord tells us that the world will not often appreciate it when we call them out of darkness. He says that they will hate you and persecute you as they hated him. But we must not fear, beloved, for the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ has been poured out on his people. He is in us. He is our helper. He empowers us. He is with us. He bears witness through us. And we do not need to worry about the outcome of our witness because it is not the power of our testimony that brings people to faith. It is the Spirit who convicts the world in the tribunal of God, the great judge of all the earth, so that many might believe in Jesus Christ. They might believe that he is the Son of God and so believing have life in his name. Amen.